I want to start with a question today. I want to invite you to a, a time of public confession, all right? Some public confession today. And my question to you is this. How many of you have watched even one minute, even one clip, even one very small portion of the show Keeping Up with the Kardashians? We got anybody who's willing? Okay. Some people are reluctantly admitting. Some people are not admitting. Um, how about um, The Bachelor? Anybody ever? Okay. All right. We're getting a few more. People are warming up. Bachelorette? Anyone? Bachelor? Bachelors in Paradise. Empire. Oh, Emily, what? Bachelors in Paradise. Um, we'll have to talk about that, Emily. Uh, uh, <laughs> Empire. Love and Hip Hop. Um, Mari Povich. Jerry Springer. Cops. Dog the Bounty Hunter. Um, <laughs> Judge Judy. Judge Joe Brown, Judge Mathis, any show that begins with Judge, anybody, yeah, okay, the one thing that ties all of these shows and many more together is one element, and it's the, it also happens to be the title of my sermon today, and that is dysfunctional relationships, each show uh, presents some dysfunctional dynamics, some dysfunctional relationships, I don't know if it's me or maybe you have also experience what I've experienced. Have any of you ever been in any environment, maybe firsthand, secondhand, thirdhand, where there were some dysfunctional relationships happening? Is there anybody in the house? Okay, maybe it's been dysfunction in a family, a dysfunction in a marriage, dysfunction on a job, a dysfunction at a school, dysfunction in your friend's group, dysfunction at a church. Uh, We've all been in environments where the relationships are dysfunctional. And as much um, fun as it is to gently mock uh, those who are having dysfunctional relationships on TV, we know that in our own life, when we're involved in environments that are dysfunctional, it can actually bring a great deal of pain and heartache and sorrow and disruption into our life. It's something that we desperately want to avoid. We want to avoid being in dysfunctional relationships because they're painful. And uh, in this installment of Fearless, we're going to, we're going to enter into uh, the most painful and the darkest period of David's life. We've been following David from the time before he was anointed all the way to where he became king, uh, went through great sin, uh, g- received forgiveness. Uh, but he, he's now sort of in near the twilight of his reign and we, we see him entering into a, a, a period of time that is deeply broken, uh, deeply sad and tragic even. Uh, and we look at this, and I'll just warn you in advance, there's some heaviness to this sermon, okay? There's some adult themes in this sermon. Uh, there, there's some darkness. Uh, because what I love about the scripture is the scripture doesn't only celebrate the victories and the triumphs. The scripture also reveals the tragedies and the failures. Uh, of those that it describes. The, the sins of the heroes of the faith are not sanitized by the scripture. And I'm grateful for that because a lot of times we learn as much or more from someone's failure than we do from their victory. And so what I want to do today is I'm going to take us into a very, very painful period in David's life. And I will just give you some comfort and assurance that it will end with hope. Somebody say hope. It will end with hope, but you don't get to hope until you've been through some of the darkness. Uh, and, and it also, in my mind, uh, as we read this scripture, 
um, I was talking to uh, Pastor Mark the other day, and he said, you know, some of the themes in this passage of Scripture, in this dark chapter of David's life, just hits home for where people are. And so I'm going to just dive right into it. Uh, the, the dark chapter in David's life begins with one of the most tragic and shocking events that you read in the Bible. And it begins with David's oldest son, uh, his oldest son from his first wife. And that should tell you something about the dysfunction in David's life. If you got to say first wife, and there are eight, there are seven more, and then there are many concubines, and he, he, had, he had lived a life uh, that was full of dysfunction. His oldest son from his first wife, the scripture says, a guy named Amnon became obsessed, the scripture says, so obsessed with his sister, who, who was really his half-sister, a woman named Tamar, that he made himself ill. So Amnon, David's oldest son, became entirely fixated and obsessed with his half-sister. He, she was a very beautiful woman, and he began to look upon her, and he lusted after her, and he desired her. And then in a very um, shocking passage, which I'm not going to read, read uh, the whole thing to you today, uh, uh, Amnon tricks his sister into coming into his room and rapes her uh, and then throws her out of the, of the house. And the Bible describes it, a story that could have been described in one sentence. It, it really, if you read the passage, it really describes the, the pain and the horror that Tam, Tamar experienced. And at the end of, of the rape, he throws her out. And the scripture says that Tamar put ashes on her head and she tore the ornate robe she was wearing. And she put her hands on her head and she went away weeping aloud as she went. And, and what we're seeing in this passage is some of the ramifications and the consequences of the, of the way that David had conducted his life in the past. He had been indiscriminate in his desire for sexual conquest, and his children growing up had watched this. He was a man that, um, you know, had great vir- virtues and great faith, and he also had these terrible, tragic, deep flaws in his life. And so his sons growing up observed this dynamic, and, uh, and, and, and when we see Amnon do this, you sort of trace it back to some of the moments in David's life, and you can see uh, how the family had arrived at this dysfunctional um, status because of the dysfunctional decisions that David, as the leader of the family, had made over, over the years. So Amnon uh, rapes his sister. She leaves, and she encounters on the way out her brother Absalom, and the scripture says... Absalom, it's almost as if he knew what had happened or maybe he had anticipated or maybe he sensed something going on. He said, uh, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? And she says that, yes, he had. And, and then he says to her something that is a, is, is a very confusing, it's a difficult uh, thing to wrestle with. He says, be quiet for now, my sister. Uh, he is your brother He says, don't take this thing to heart. And then it says, Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. It's as you read the context, we learn that he, in fact, was trying to comfort her. He was planning uh, revenge and plotting revenge on his brother. But he gives this command, this directive to her of be quiet for now. And we don't fully know all of the motives. Maybe it's because he doesn't want Amnon to find out what he's going to do. Maybe it's because he doesn't want to rock the boat. Maybe it's because he's afraid of David's reaction. But for whatever reason, he, he, he brings in a key dysfunction into the family. And it's a key dysfunction in their 
family, and it can be a key dysfunction in any environment that we're in, and that's the dysfunction of secrecy. The dysfunction of secrecy, when something goes wrong, and when there's pain, and when there's uh, injustice, and when something has, has happened in our life, and we don't reveal it, and we conceal it, and we hide it, uh, we actually give it control. I, I don't know if you've ever been in an environment, or maybe you've experienced it yourself, where you concealed something, and the thing that you concealed ultimately had a great deal of control over you. The thing that you conceal will ultimately control you. And this is what happened in this relationship. They concealed it, and it began to take control of the rest of the dynamics in their family. Uh, years ago, I had a woman in her 60s can't, that came to my office and wanted to talk with me. I didn't know what it was that she wanted to talk about, but she came and she sat down and she began to open up and disclose to me about a very painful event that had happened in her life when she was a young child and a friend of their family had uh, assaulted her, sexually assaulted her. And, um, and she had never told anyone. In, in, she was nine and, and then she was in her 60s when she told me. And all, all those years, she had never revealed it to a parent, never revealed it to a counselor never revealed it to a pastor, uh, to a family member. She just, she just carried it with her. And she said, you know, it had affected her and had impacted her uh, every aspect of her life. It had impacted her. It had, it had impacted her relationship with her husband and with her kids and every aspect of her life. And what was beautiful is, as she began to reveal it, uh, and then we, we introduced her to a counselor, and there became uh, some 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 healing that began to happen and finally she was able to talk with her husband and with the, the kids and and over time but by, by this time that her father had passed and the, the man who did it had passed it, but she was able to start uh finding freedom by uh uncovering uh, the secret that she had been carrying when jesus talks to us about uh secrecy he there's a little there's a little pithy quote in the scripture that i just love and, and it's so clear and we all know it but in John 8, he says this. He says, the truth, you can put that next slide up. Uh, sorry, you can put up the, the next scripture. The truth, he says, will set you free. Uh, my question for us today is, um, it, are any of us carrying the secrets in our own heart, pains, um, hurts that we have just never revealed to anyone? Because those kinds of secrets can crush us. Those kinds of secrets can control us. It's a key dysfunction. And, and when we begin to find a safe place and a healthy environment, maybe it's a counselor, maybe it's a pastor, uh, maybe it's a close friend, maybe it's somebody that you're in community with in your life group, uh, when we begin to un uncover and reveal uh, the secrets, the scripture says the truth will set you free, that we will uh, we'll actually be empowered by uncovering the thing that terrifies us. And so let me just encourage you with this. There's nothing in your life that's too strong, too terrible, too messed up, too deplorable that you can't reveal and that you can't invite God into. There's nothing in your life that is so strong that God cannot overcome it when you invite him into that secret. And so I just want to encourage us. Maybe this is for somebody today, this very beginning part of this story. Maybe that's it for you today. Maybe it's, 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 it's taking the time and finding a place to, to honestly open up and reveal what's happening in your life because when you begin to reveal it, then it, you begin to heal it. And so I want to encourage somebody today with that. Uh, David uh, finally hears about what happens. 
Uh, no, uh, 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 Absalom doesn't tell him, but somehow, maybe we don't know how, maybe a servant, maybe the word got out. But David finally heard about it, and the scripture says that David, when he heard about it, was furious, as he should be. I mean, this, this is his son and his daughter, and David is absolutely furious about it. And this was an opportunity, when you read the story, this was an opportunity when David could have stepped in as the father and said, we're going to put an end to this madness and this dysfunction. And maybe it's because he was so compromised in his own life. We don't know why, but it turns out that even after David hears about what happened between Amnon and and Tamar and what Amnon did to Tamar, he does nothing. He's furious, but he does nothing. In fact, the scripture says that uh, Absalom and and also David, we learn from the context, neither David nor Absalom, they never said a word to Amnon. Neither, neither good nor bad. Uh, Absalom hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. But nobody did anything. So in this dysfunctional family where there's now a secret and there's something that's being hidden and there's something that's, that's not being revealed, it turns strictly from secrecy to the next dysfunction, which is avoidance. Avoidance. And this is, this is what we do when we just don't want to address something unpleasant or difficult in our life. Do we have any conflict avoiders by chance in the house today? Anybody just generally like to dis, you know, avoid conflict? I do. I mean, I do. I think as a general matter, as a general rule, all of us like to avoid things that are unpleasant. Even if they're not bad things, they're just unpleasant. You know, they just, even if they're good things, but they're unpleasant, you want to avoid them. Are you with me this morning? Uh, I'm avoiding the flu shot right now. I just, I probably should get it. I don't have any reason in my heart not to get it in my mind. I just, it's unpleasant. I don't want to get it, right? Get the flu shot. That's my neighbor. Thank you, Amy. Um, She she says that about once once or twice a week. Um, I I mean, uh, I I don't, I, I like to avoid getting my car washed. I like to have a clean car, but it's a pain to go get your car washed, right? It's just, it's just unpleasant to go and take the time to do that. I avoid um, mowing the lawn, raking the leaves. I mean, I'm, I don't know if any of you guys are with me. We just, we avoid, we have right now, one of my big things that I avoid is opening the mail. I don't know if that's a pet peeve for anybody else. For whatever reason, that's my thing. Like, I do not like to open the mail. Even if there's good mail, there could be checks in there. There could be bills in there. There could be birthday cards in there, gift cards. It doesn't matter. It just, it's, it's tiresome for me to open the mail. Right now, there's a tote bag full of mail in my house. It's a grocery cloth tote bag full of mail that has not been opened. In fact, uh, a while back, this is maybe a year or two ago, I was on a trip. I was at a conference. I was in the car, the Uber, and we were driving to the location at the conference, and I got a call on my phone. I didn't recognize the call, and I usually don't answer calls that I don't recognize, but I answered the call, and it was the gas company, and they said, um, Mr. Rome, uh, we're about to cut your gas off if you don't pay your bill. Now, I had the money to pay the bill. That wasn't the problem. I just hadn't opened the bill because the bill was in my tote bag of mail in my house because I was avoiding it, right? Here's the problem with avoidance, especially when you're avoiding conflict, and that is this. When you, when you avoid conflict, you invite chaos, Come on, somebody. When you avoid conflict in your life, what you're actually doing is inviting that conflict to blossom, inviting that conflict to grow, and now you are going to experience chaos because you have, not avoid, because you have avoided something that needed to be addressed that you didn't want to address because it was unpleasant, because there was conflict, and you didn't want to get near it. And this is what happens in, in the life of, of David. Uh, the, the conflict that they are avoiding begins to fester. 
And Amnon is, is growing in his rage towards, uh, sorry, Absalom is growing in his rage towards Amnon uh, because of what Amnon did to his sister. And there's, a, there's a, an anger brewing up. And the problem is, since David is avoiding doing what David needs to do, Absalom decides to take matters into his own hands. And when you read in 2 Samuel, what Absalom do, does is he invites his, his brother Amnon to a party, gets him drunk, and then kills him with all of the other brothers around. Uh, takes the life of his own brother and then runs for the hills and goes and hides in the Golan Heights with his grandfather. So what happened was that we went uh, from, from avoiding conflict into a completely chaotic period in the life of, of, of David uh, and in the life of their family and everything and all their, the, the, the kids and Tamar and all of them. There's absolute chaos now in the family. And for three years, Absalom lives with his grandfather and his grandmother uh, outside of Jerusalem. David uh, is, is, is continually encouraged to invite Absalom home. In fact, the people that are around David that care about David and care about the family keep telling David, like, David, you need to, work, you need to, you need to bring Absalom back. You need to address this because now your daughter has been raped and one of your sons has been killed. And it's time to put a stop to the absolute chaos that is happening in, our, in, in your world and in the kingdom. But for whatever reason, David doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to face it. Finally, he, he is convinced, he's compelled to bring Absalom back into Jerusalem. But he does it under a condition. And the condition is this. He says, the king said, he must, not, he must go to his own house. I'm going to bring him back. But he must not see my face. So Absalom went to his own house and he did not see the face of the king. In other words, he, he said, look, I'm going to have him back, but I don't want to be near him. And this is, this is the, the third key dysfunction that we see happening in the life of David. And maybe some of us experience this in our own lives. And that is alienation. It's that moment where you, uh, you, you're, you're avoiding someone and you get to a point where the avoidance just turns into alienation. You cut them off. This is, this is cancel. You're canceled. You know, I, I don't know if any of you have had uh, an experience like that in your life where maybe somebody in the family cut somebody off. And you just say, you know what, you're canceled. Uh, get out of my face. I'm going to ghost you. I don't want to be around you anymore. I'm just, you're out. And this is what's happening in David's family is that the fractures are growing deeper. Um, sometimes there's a good reason to not allow somebody in your life if there's a safety issue, if there's a boundary issue, um, if there's a you know, harm issue. And, and it's right and it's good to not allow somebody into your life. But in this case and in many cases in our lives, sometimes we alienate people because we just, we, we, we just don't want to deal with the, the, the difficulty of working out the relationship dynamic with them. In fact, I've, I think there are about three that I can come up with, three reasons that we alienate people. One is, is pride. One of the reasons that we end up in alienating relationships with one another is because uh, maybe, maybe interacting with that person is going to require a level of forgiveness uh, we need to seek forgiveness or we need to give forgiveness. Um, and and we're, we're, we're too prideful to do that. We don't want to actually take the step of acknowledging the issue. We don't want to work it out. Uh, and so we have pride and we just alienate someone and then that fracture grows greater. Uh, 
it may not be pride or maybe a version of pride, but it may be power. Sometimes when we alienate someone in our life, uh, it's because we feel that we are now exercising some degree of power over them. Um, because by alienating them, we're in control of the situation. And now we have, we have a sense of power, um, and we continue to maintain that power by alienating that person. And the third one is what I'm calling pressure. Maybe you have brought other people into the conflict, and now they're on your side. And if you make up with that person uh, that you first alienated, now these other people who you've brought into the fray are going to say, um, you know, well, why are you doing that? They're not going to understand why you're trying to resolve things because now they've been brought into it. And so David enters into this dynamic where he has alienated his, his son. One of his sons is, is dead. Uh, his daughter is deeply, deeply damaged. And he's alienated the third son. And what happens with alienation is that it allows contempt and bitterness to grow. Um, it, it, sometimes we, we enter into an alienating relationship or dynamic with someone and we think, okay, that'll just put an end to it. It'll just fade. But a lot of times what happens is it allows a contempt and anger and bitterness to grow in the cracks of that relationship. And that's what happens with Absalom. When we read the story of Absalom, he begins to grow deeper and deeper uh, uh, in his bitterness and angst and anger and contempt towards his own father. And when you read the passage, uh, what happens is Absalom ultimately amasses a group of men, a group of soldiers around him, and says, we're going to cause an uprising, and I'm going to become king. And he betrays his own father. Um, I'm not even going to get into all of the details of how grotesque it became. But what happened is there was a, a, a deep conflict and a battle uh, between the two, the, the party that was led by Absalom and then David's men, and there was a conflict. And in that conflict, um, Absalom was killed. And so we see David's life just spiraling uh, and going deeper, deeper, and deeper into this chaos because now he's lost two sons and, and, and a daughter that is deeply harmed. And we finally find David near the twilight of his career, near the twilight of his kingdom, uh, after all of this chaos and all of this disruption, and he's standing on the roof of his house, and it's really one of the most tragic uh, scriptures in the entire Bible. It says the king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway, and he wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom. This is, the, for me, one of the saddest, saddest scriptures. My son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And you see a, a man whose life is racked with grief and whose life is racked with sorrow because of the dysfunction that he allowed and that he committed in his own life. And he is filled with the, the result of dysfunction, and that is just a deep and abiding sense of regret. Um, I want to, I told you at the beginning of this sermon that it would end with hope, okay? Um, this, is, this is the kind of sermon that I don't like to preach because it's just so heavy. But what we find in and throughout the scripture is that ultimately, no matter how dark the situation and no matter how tragic the situation, and this is a situation that I think many of us can agree, whatever dysfunction, level of dysfunction we're experiencing in our own life, David's been there. Uh, and, and there's a line that hit me 
as he was saying what he was saying about his son Absalom. He said, if only I had died instead of you. And what I love about the scripture and what I love about the gospel is that we see generations later, the great, 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 as we talked about last week, great, 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 great grandson of, of, of David says the exact same thing. But he says, instead of saying, if only, he says, you know what? I'm going to die instead of you. This is, this is the Lord and Savior Jesus, the great, great, great grandson of David says, I know the level of heartache and dysfunction and pain that you might experience in your life due to circumstances, some of which were outside of your control, due to circumstances, some of which were within your control, due to decisions that you made, due to decisions that others made about you or for you, and you're living with regret. Or you're living on the precipice of regret. You're facing decisions that may lead to regret. Or you're in the middle of them. And you're not quite sure which way to go. And if you turn left or if you turn right, you're not sure which way to go. And one will lead to regret and the other will lead to freedom. But the the path that leads to regret is calling you because it's easier. It's easier. And Jesus is saying to someone today, Whatever decision you make, I want you to make the right decision. I want you to avoid chaos, and I want you to avoid dysfunction. But I'm here for you, and I made the right decision. Jesus also did not want to take the path that he took. When you read the story of him in the garden as we near Easter, he's crushed. He's racked with the decision. And he even says, if this cup can pass from me, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he sacrifices his life for us. The Apostle Paul, writing in uh, the letter to the Romans, says this, and I just love what he says, whatever was written in former times. He's talking about the Hebrew Bible. He's talking about the stories of of David and of, and, uh, of Abraham and Isaac and the hardships and difficulties and tragedies that we see throughout the scripture. Whatever was written in former, in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. Today, I just want to encourage you wherever you are in your path, on your trajectory, in your journey. There is hope in the midst of whatever battle you're facing, whatever pain you are experiencing, whatever life decisions that you are encountering right now and that you're maybe just beginning right in the middle of, or you've come through on the other side, and now you're looking back like David and saying, if only, if only things had been different. I want to tell you, there is hope for each and every one of us, whether we're, whether we're becoming believers for the very first time, or we've been dyed in the wool and we're followers of Jesus, but we're still experiencing some of the, some of the ramifications of the dysfunctional decisions that we've made. I want to give you steps, and then we're going to close, and that is this. Number one, just admit need. This is This is what I love about the Christian faith is that it begins with an act of surrender. That's that's actually the cost of entry. The cost of entry is I need help. I cannot do this on my own. If I make all the decisions that I'm trying to make by my own wisdom, by my own power, I'm going to end up living a life of regret and pain. Admit that you need some help and then ask for God to help. God, I I, I just, I need you to help me. I, I cannot make the right decisions on my own. And we look at David and he makes a flurry of decisions, bad decision after bad decision. And at no point 
in that story, in those three chapters that we just covered, at no point does he stop and say, God, what do you want me to do? Just let me just pause. God, what do you want? Not let me strategize. Not let me figure out how I can maintain control. Not let me figure out how I can keep power. What do you want me to do, God? What, what is the right thing? Because I need your help, right? I, I, I believe some of us need to make that call today. Like some of us are here today and, and, and you haven't made a commitment to Christ and you can do that today. You can just let us know. I'm, I want to make a commitment. I want to follow Jesus. Or you want to recommit your life. I need help. We're going to be baptizing people in a couple weeks. Maybe for you, it's, let's, you know, let's get baptized. Let's take the step. Let's, let's go to that next step and do what God is calling us to do. And then the third one is this. Get into a healthy community. The best way to overcome the, the dysfunctional relationships that we all experience is to begin to build some healthy relationships. It's really, it's really the best way. I mean, when I was... For years, I was not a believer, and I, I, was, I was living in Los Angeles, and I was in unhealthy, dysfunctional relationships. And I realized at a certain point in my life, you know, this isn't working out the way that I'd like. This isn't going so well. And I made a decision. I made a commitment. Even before I became a follower of Jesus, I was looking at some people that had good, healthy relationships. I said, I want to get into their life, and I want them to get into my life. And I reached out to a few people and said, look, I... I'm not ready to become a Jesus follower, but I am ready to try to make some sense of my life, and, and I want you to be a part of it. I actually joined a church before I even became a believer. I was like, I'm just not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to attend. I'm not going to tell anybody. I don't believe, but I'm going to come. Because I wanted to be around people that, that seemed to be pursuing what was good and what was right. And over time, those relationships began to influence me. And began to transform me. God, you know, God uses the community of believers. He uses his body to reach those who are lost. Did you know that? He uses you through your invitation, through your love, through your care, through the encouragement that you have, through the way you pour out your life for other people. He uses you. You're his tool. You're his, you're his, you're his vanguard. You're his agency. It's you. It's us. So I want to invite any of you that haven't come today get involved join we're, we're going to have step one today which is our membership you can come to that it'll be right in the side auditorium we'll have some some snacks and some some coffee for you and i'll come over and we'll talk and 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 maybe that's the step you need to take today just take a step get into healthy community because there's a there's a beautiful power when somebody says i'm going to put the brakes on this dysfunctional dynamic that i'm experiencing whatever it is i'm going to put on the brakes I'm going to invite God into it, and I'm going, to path, I'm going to carve a new pathway of health and productivity and fruitfulness in my life. I'm going to stop dysfunctional relationships, and I'm going to follow God. My prayer is that you and I would all make that decision today by the power of the Spirit in us. Let's pray together. If you would close your eyes, I want to pray for you. Father, I, I just pray that this morning... Each and every one of us who are here, who are experiencing to some degree, maybe just very minor, maybe moderate, or maybe extreme levels of pain and heartache and dysfunction in our own lives, in our families or schools or work, our relationships or friendships or dating life. God, I just pray that you would give us the power by your spirit, empower us through your word and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit to take the steps that we need to take to walk down the path that you have for us. I pray for each and every person, God, that we would experience your love, your mercy, your grace today, that like the scripture says, we won't leave burdened by shame or condemnation, fear or guilt, bound in the, 
in the, in the enslavement of secrecy, but that we might find freedom in you. And I trust you with this today. We give you our hearts, our souls, our minds. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen.